the best part is there's no video. So I could do whatever I want as I start this podcast. Wow, I can't believe you're doing that to all of our listeners. All 12 of them. And hello to them, you beautiful <laughs> people. You know what? This early on in a podcast, you have to have your devotees. And we thank you for being here, whatever the hell this is. Your weekly appointment to listen to two friends in different countries, yet on the same continent, mm. talk about wrestling. Again, a totally original idea. Never been done before. Yeah. Never been done. We're trendsetters. It's kind of like we're like outlaws of the new age. They're going to make video games about us. <laughs> we're going to be we're going to be highlighted in some sort of universe mode. <laughs> Red Dead Redemption 3. We're going to be characters <laughs> in Oregon. I just noticed I'm still COVID crashy. <laughs> the, That's OK. It's fine. On Once the you've had it, you're always yeah. that. Oh, yeah. No, it's like it's like chicken pox or like, no, it's like mono. Like if, yeah. like kids, if, if you ever get the mono, the kissing disease, yeah, it stays with you for the rest of your life. There you so go. stop so kissing don't, people. <laughs> don't kiss anybody, particularly yeah. on this Valentine's Day. Well, by the time people listen to this, it's already like a day or two afterwards. That's true. Yeah. So I hope he didn't kiss anybody, in which case. <laughs> well, you got mono. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it's all downhill from here. And the things you learn on this podcast that aren't wrestling related, it's up there. It's way up there. It's it's a uh, you know, it's it's not just a wrestling podcast. It's right. a podcast about friendship, about knowledge and learning and life. Life. It's it really is a life <laughs> podcast. Just in the wrestling category. <laughs> Mostly. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. We have to categorize it as yeah. something. I don't know if we could if we could, we'd be allowed to have the wrestling slash life slash um, automobile categories uh, yeah. because yeah. NASCAR returns on Sunday. <laughs> Sunday. <laughs> if only I had the Richard Head clip because there's no way I could pull that off right now. <laughs> Make sure you tune into uh, twitch.tv slash 24 and when you get into the chat, request the Richard Head clip. It's amazing. <laughs> Which one, you ask? They yeah. all are amazing. You want your eardrums blown out. That is the way to do it. With that crash, as we, we start off today and, and this recording here, um, similar situation as last week, unfortunately, in regards to like, hey, there are some kind of eh, topics that, you know, are, are prevalent in the wrestling world. So I figured why not get them out of the way um, to really kick things off. On one hand, there was tremendous news compared to last week. Uh, where it was announced that Jerry the King Lawler is expected to make a full recovery uh, following, uh, I believe, the second stroke that he's had um, in the past couple of years. So that is tremendous, tremendous news. Uh, but that was followed up today uh, with the news of the the passing of one Jerry Jarrett at the age of uh, 80 years old. Obviously, uh, the Jarrett name has continued to be at the forefront of wrestling for... I mean, really, you're talking 60 years at this point. You know, Jerry in particular got his start in the 60s and 70s. And then it was the end of the 70s where his story starts to intertwine with the likes of Jerry Lawler in Memphis. And obviously, you know, his his legacy in wrestling has been carried on uh, through, you know, nearly. I think it is. Yeah, it's over 40 years now in the wrestling business for his Son Jeff, obviously, still to this day on national television for a major wrestling promotion. Um, you know, as much as we talked about it with Jerry Lawler, uh, Jerry Jarrett has like an indelible mark on wrestling history. You know, it, it's one of those things, though, where thankfully and it's it's interesting because Sean Waltman um, put out a tweet today. That's that's, that's X-Pac or six to yes. those who are as old as us and that that smaller guy who hangs out with Triple H and Shawn Michaels at all the reunion bras <laughs> bandana and all um <laughs> you know he put out a tweet saying how bittersweet it is because for the longest time 
it used to be, oh, people he knew in the wrestling business were dying young. But now he's, you know, getting up there in age and it's bittersweet that, you know, hey, these obviously people are still passing away. But, you know, it's, you know, it's like, hey, Jerry Jarrett was 80 years old. That's that's a full, full life, an accomplished life. I mean, his legacy in wrestling continues on through his son, Jeff, through Impact Wrestling, which still exists, uh, obviously, to this day. Um, Just a gigantic impact pun completely intended on the wrestling business for for Jerry Jarrett. So it was pretty, pretty disappointing to hear. But as you know, Xbox on Twitter said it's it's nice in a way that it's like it's it's nice that you can talk about someone who was in the wrestling business where it's like, OK, and you don't really have to ask the question of what else could there have been? It's like, no, he had a full life and you got to see just the ridiculous mark that he really made throughout um, God, I think it was, yeah, 60 some odd years in the wrestling business. Right. And as I've kind of pointed out, when I saw it on Twitter, I was like, you know, oh, Jeff Jarrett's dad died. And then I kind of sat with it for a little bit because as I've, like I said, I've pointed out on this podcast many times, the amount of professional wrestling available to me um, growing up was limited to Maple Leaf Wrestling, which was our weekend WWF uh, half an hour TV program, Mm. which was preceded by Stampede Wrestling, which was the local uh, Stu Hart uh, program where you got to see up and coming uh, wrestlers like Brett Nowen, like British Bulldog, like um, Dynamite Kid, I believe, was there for a little bit. But then I started really thinking about territories. Because that's really where uh, Jerry Jared excelled was within the territories and became a name that way. Like anybody getting into wrestling over the past, call it even 30 years, because the territories kind of disappeared early to mid 80s because WWF uh, was such a conglomerate and they just kind of swallowed up territory after territory. And yeah, what we're seeing now isn't even close to what professional... Re- and I'm not even talking in the ring. I'm talking the business side. You didn't have... Or, you know what? It, it is close because I can think of like three or four different federations that I could go to on any given week that, that wrestle out of whatever Legion Hall is available. But those guys don't trade wrestlers the way that territories did you heard about somebody being big and you hope that your territory would work out a deal with that territory for a hulk hogan for a jerry the king lawler for a andre the giant Mm. who would run in your territory for a month and then go back Uh, just a just a completely different uh, business sense so anybody who is able to become what uh, what Jerry Jared became in that landscape, I've got all the credit in the world because there was no internet. You didn't see t- like VHS wasn't really even a thing. Mm. Like you, he had to travel to see somebody or have them travel to him to get a tryout and then a yes or a no. Like letters were sent. <laughs> it wasn't email or direct message, right? So yeah. it was just a completely different world. And to excel in that world with the lack of convenience that we we take for granted today is uh, is phenomenal. So as much as I didn't really get to see his direct impact, obviously there's there's wrestlers that have been, uh, I mean, Jeff Jarrett, obviously, and uh, those who were inspired by Jeff Jarrett are a direct result of Jerry Jarrett as well. With that, we have our three doors, as always. Crash Andrews, pick your poison. As much as I want a Zelda key, because there is something that I kind of want to touch on, on, I it's been a while since we've been able to choose the doors. Mm. So I am going to go mid. We're going to go number two, right down the middle. That would be the AEW side of things. We have a little bit more to talk about this week in that regard. Um, I'm a broken record when I say surprise, surprise. There were great matches on Dynamite 
Uh, MJF and uh, Takeshita was awesome. Brian Danielson and Roosh was awesome. Can you believe that Brian Danielson was in a really good wrestling match? Mm, hard mm. to believe. <laughs> They're going full steam ahead with all out despicable heel MJF. A move that I don't think, of course, they were going to do. But we are still, of course, seeing the the ripple effects of the event that shall not be named. <laughs> no, it was, it was aptly named Brawl Out. There you go. <laughs> and the Gun Club. Yeah. The Ass Boys. Yeah. Won the AEW Tag Team Championships. Yeah. <laughs> so your reaction, I think, is the more common reaction when it comes to that decision. I I don't mind it, all things considered. Um mainly because because if you think of the biggest rivals of the acclaimed, it's not FTR, it's not the Young Bucks. Uh, it wasn't Jurassic Express. It wasn't any other developed tag team other than the guns. Mm. I mean, they they even had like a mini stable and branched off and stole their father. So <laughs> as far as like long term storytelling goes, yeah, this this does make sense. I just don't know if we're in like. Rey Mysterio championship territory where you really, really wanted to see Rey Mysterio, Kofi Kingston. Uh, you could name a whole bunch of people that you really, really wanted to see as heavyweight champion. And then once you got that, you kind of just didn't really care anymore. Like the, the chase was better than the end result. And I don't know if we're there with the acclaimed because I don't know if they have the same heat that they did when they were going up against uh, Swerve in Our Glory for the tag team titles. Like that chase for those those belts was monumentous. Mm -hmm. But I don't think it did anything to elevate them. And it didn't really do anything to elevate the tag team division necessarily. So I don't mind this move to try and gain a little bit more heat for for both teams and the division. Um, but on paper, yeah, I, I don't, I don't know. I don't, I'm not really the biggest fan of it. So I would say in a, in a general sense, like they did take, like, obviously they took a gigantic step forward. Like them winning the tag titles was 100% the right decision. Um, people can still argue whether or not that should have happened at all out as opposed to at dynamite grand slam. Um, but you're right in a sense that after that, in terms of super big matches, you know, they had a rematch with uh, Swerve in Our Glory at Full Gear in November. Mm -hmm. uh, they had a match with FTR back at the beginning of December. A series of matches against Jeff Jarrett and Jay Lethal. Right. Uh, they beat one of the better things about AEW. The Outrunners, um, who are primarily a dark tag team, okay, but they are going full into 1980s uh shtick essentially of the uh like retro wave style, the bright colors. Like, it's a 37 year old guy whose ring name is Truth Magnum, <laughs> and his tag partner is Turbo Floyd. Yeah, I'll have to send you a promo that they cut. Uh, it was great. But yeah, in, in a general sense, right? Like they didn't have outside of that match with FTR. They did not have a match against who people would consider like top, top, realistic um, next champions, if that right. makes sense. Right. They, they did, did not they... have a match with the Young Bucks. They did not have a match with any combination of the House of Black. Uh, it was primarily uh, the the one FTR match, and then Jay Lethal and Jeff Jarrett. Yeah, I'd, I'd go. I'd easily say they've done a poor job elevating the next group because they FTR hasn't really been on TV. And you know what? 
give them time because they put everybody's tag team division on their backs through 2022. So give them a little bit of time. And well, that's the thing. They have a little bit of time right now, but it's the thought of are they heading back to WWE? Lord knows uh, one Dax Harwood, a.k.a. Bald, um, has very much. (laughs) Oh, and that guy, Bald, (laughs) not Bald and Bald. (laughs) He has very much been leaning towards the we're going we're going back like there was a tweeted out picture um, yesterday that's still up on Twitter. Um, that's edited. Uh, the original version he took down, then he posted a new one, um, hyping up a tequila. But of course, in the corner, there is a piece of paper with the WWE logo on it, takes it down, puts up a different version with the paper slightly moved. Like he's, he's trolling. He is fully leaning into the, are you going, are you not type of thing? Um, which, you know, basically, in a general sense for the guns winning the tag titles, I'm okay with it because I'm intrigued. Yes. Um, I'm intrigued to see if they, because they did really um, hint at them and FTR. So this serves, you would presume, as a way to transition the belts from a face tag team to a face tag team from the acclaimed over to FTR. Or... They're going to do this match and the guns are going to beat FTR, get what might even be the biggest one of their career, despite it not being them winning the tag titles. But if they beat FTR on television, when FTR is heading out the door, that's a huge win for one of their homegrown tag teams. And you can, you know, yes, you can sit there and look at the lineage of these tag titles in terms of what teams had the experience and were ready. First ever AEW Tag Champs, Kazarian, Scorpio Sky. Yep. It was a good SCU. choice at the time. Yep. Way more experience. Homegrown in a sense of like, okay, friends with the Young Bucks. They were on being the elite for years, stuff like that. Like it was a, a homegrown tag team in a sense. Right. Then it was Kenny Omega and Adam Page. Homegrown tag team champs. Yep. Then it's FTR. Not homegrown, but the best tag team in the world, arguably. Then you have the Young Bucks, the Lucha Brothers, Jurassic Express, Young Bucks again, Swerve in Our Glory, the Acclaimed, and the Guns. In terms of like, are they at what whoever you want to consider the lowest step on the ladder for all the prior champions? Yeah, the thought is the Guns are now the new low step. Yes, but at the but at the same time, I just I don't know. I'm intrigued, right? Like, in terms of like, okay, F um, the Acclaimed. They get over on dark and stuff like that, but you just give them a chance to go once they start getting a reaction and it turns into good things. With these guys, I mean, put it this way, Dan Housen made both of them. <laughs> yeah, like Dan Housen really yeah. helped get the acclaimed over and Lord knows he helped get the guns over in terms of getting that negative reaction. And I mean, these guys are... I think Colton's 30, 31 and Austin's 27, 28. Oh, they're like, young. Yeah, they're, they're going to be around for a long time. They're good at getting that negative reaction. And I didn't agree with the take of, oh, the crowd went silent as a protest. Like, this is bullshit. I thought that crowd in El Paso genuinely had the, oh, my God, they put the belts on the guns reaction. S- similar to Jinder winning the WWE title. But at the same time, they've been building the guns for this stage for a hell of a lot longer than the WWE built gender. They did that in like three weeks. Yeah. The guns being a thorn in the side of FTR and the acclaim, that's been months. <coughs> I do think that. Um, I, I fear that they're going to go in that direction that you pointed out with FTR. What I'd like to see with this, because I still think there's still gas in the tank with um, the acclaimed. What I'd like to see is them build that feud. And I think that's mm. one thing that AEW still in their infancy, call it, even though it's three, four years now, uh, haven't really done a good job to. They will always call back to when it's necessary, but they don't build those long term feuds. So I'm I'm absolutely fine with if this is the acclaimed 
and the guns going back and forth over, call it, three months. Which we kind of have that heading into with the with Billy Gunn siding with the with the acclaimed. It just I think the silence came from the fact that I don't think anybody believed that the guns were there except for the guns. And good on them and good on AEW for bringing something fresh and and surprising everybody with the result and everything like that. I just I don't think people thought that they were quite there yet. Were they building towards? Sure. Uh, Whereas very, all those names that you listed of previous winners, there was plausibility that, I mean, Hangman and and, uh, Kenny Omega are two of your top stars. They're two of the top guys that should be in the business that if you put them together, they should run, uh, no pun intended, uh, buckshot over everybody. Ruckshot? Ruckshot? Buckshot? But <laughs> just just where the guns are and the list that you said, the only other ones that I'd put in there as like it wasn't quite there yet was Jurassic Express. Because they were kind of put together as a team or whatever. But they, when they won, it went over really, really well. This is a heel move. This is 100% a heel move to build your top heel uh, tag team. I just hope that it doesn't mean that we don't see the acclaimed in the picture over the next little bit, which, like I said, once once somebody gets a loss, they're kind of scooted out of that title picture until it's relevant or they've gone through everybody else, and then all of a sudden that guy shows up again and he's back into the picture uh, be it through injury, through suspension, through whatever, and it's mm. it. Uh, we've talked about like the the big four of the the nineties and early two thousands: the Triple H, the Rock, the Stone Cold, the Undertaker, right? And you could throw mm. Brett and Sean in there as well. Like there was a rotation, and it worked because it made sense that those guys were back in the scene once one guy failed. I, AEW has not really kept that going, and it. The way that they have, they haven't put the other guys who are on the sidelines together to build a program of who's the next guy. Or at least it doesn't feel that way. I I still think, well, first, for, to wrap up the whole guns thing, I yeah, still yeah. think that it's an interesting idea of, you know, the, the old saying of the belt, you know, the, the belt makes the man. Or the man makes the belt, basically. I yeah. think putting the belts on the guns in this instance could help bring them up to that next level, depending on how it goes. We still have to wait and see. Um, in a general sense with AEW, I can understand if people are like, okay, it's been months now. I still think that they are dealing with the fallout of three major events. Mm-hmm. Brawl out and how that affected the world title scene the trio's title scene and kind of disjointed things and caused trouble there. They are still dealing with the self-inflicted wound, admittedly, of, holy shit, how did this talent become available to us? We have to sign them. Yep. And people will revolt if we don't book them positively. So right. it might just be best to leave them off TV, Miro. Um, but again, we've talked about that. Samoa Joe, Adam Cole, Andrade, Brian Danielson, et cetera, et cetera. These guys become available. You have to sign them. You have to. Yeah. And the third is the WWE's uptick in momentum. Yep. And now all of a sudden with the thought of, okay, e- even now, you know, a month later after Vince forces his way back into power, even now a month later from a creative standpoint, at least at the high end, they're still doing very well. Again, I don't find anything interesting with that company outside of the main event scene, but what they're doing in the main event scene is an all-time classic story that they hopefully stick the landing with. Um, but that's why you have like FTR. Well, it's really Dax in particular, the other one, uh, Hair, uh, doesn't really stay active <laughs> on Twitter. Um, Cash. Cash. Yes. It's, it's just one of those things where it's like now you have these guys who can kind of lean into like, well, maybe I should, maybe I should jump. So I just feel like there's just so much, um, you know, the, the waters have been unsettled mm-hmm. for a while now. And it's like, okay, things are going all right. And then something else kind of happens. 
So I'm still willing to give them the kind of leeway where, yeah, not everything they do is perfect, but I still very, very much enjoy the product. Um, yeah, there are certain people I'd love to see on TV more that we don't see on TV more, stuff like that. But I do still think that they're dealing with with a lot, which is why it's it's interesting to me when they throw something out there where it's like, hey, we're going to try something different of here's the guns winning the tag titles. Right, right. And I think, too, AEW's in a pretty good spot right now that they do still have attention. And I think they can play it pretty safe over the next month because they're not going to outduel WrestleMania. And I'll give you that segue. Whatever you want to do with it is is fine. Mm. Um, going from AEW to WWE. I think the smart thing is for AEW to do right now is to build so that post WrestleMania, they can actually be the brand that excels. I'm using quotation fingers the night after WrestleMania. If that makes mm. sense, I get that they don't have the Monday show. Um, but I think if AEW just kind of builds what they need to build over the next month, they could come out the other side. Uh, a lot better than trying to out WrestleMania WWE over the next month. And I, I'm not suggesting that they are, but what I'm suggesting is things like this title change. Um, you really don't need to grab attention because of a lot of attention is going to be on WWE, regardless who's in the matches, who they book together. It's all about WWE and WrestleMania season right now. The only other thing I was going to mention for AEW, which I think you saw this as well, was the confirmation that the video game Fight Forever is going to have a rated T for Teen rating. Ooh, I didn't um, see that. That's expected, though. The ESRB puts out summaries as to why they rated games the way that they do. Allow me to Come read on, sexuality. Their rating summary. <laughs> This is a wrestling game in which players compete in matches with wrestlers from the AEW roster. So far, so good. Mm -hmm. Players Sounds use right. punches, kicks, and grappling maneuvers to drain their opponent's health. Fine. Yeah. In some match types, barbed wire, stadium stampede, unsanctioned, players can use barbed wire, baseball bats, metal chairs, and Molotov cocktails yeah. against opponents. Let's go. <laughs> Molotov cocktail on a pole match. Book it. <laughs> I that was the that's the one that really catches you of like, huh? All the other weapons make sense, but have they Molotov. ever have they ever used a Molotov cocktail in no. AEW? Yeah, I know. Okay. Golf Eventually, fight? matches fight result in submission and or knockouts. Yep. Blood splatter effects can occur during matches, staining the mats. Okay. You also have video footage of real matches depicting blood on wrestlers' faces and bodies. So the Britt game... Baker, Ruby Riot. Jesus, yeah. <laughs> the game contains some mildly suggestive material. Mm -hmm. Female mm -hmm. wrestlers in revealing outfits with deep cleavage, Kay. bunny outfits, and Kay. partially exposed buttocks. Ooh, partially. Hmm. Partially. Partially non-exposed. Yes. <laughs> you also have wrestlers performing taunting gestures such as cross cho uh, crotch chopping and slapping buttocks. Slapping buttocks. Yes. That sounds like a tag team that's been working the independence for a while. <laughs> slapping buttocks. The last two sentences, real footage sometimes depicts wrestlers drinking alcohol and smoking. Damn you, hangman. <laughs> and the word... In the main event, the word shit is heard in the game. God damn it. I Fuck. hope it's Chuck Taylor. The <laughs> longest running joke of Chuck Taylor just wants to say shit on TV. Oh, oh that's new to me. Yeah, it's beautiful. Um, I'm very much looking forward to that game. I think it's going to be amazing. I'm surprised it's not out yet. I'm cool with them taking their time. Yeah. Just make sure it's perfect. Or not perfect, but make sure it's it's a home run at the very least, you know? Make sure it's a title that we can play for three years and really enjoy so the next one can be that much better. Hint, hint, sports games. Exactly. 
Just saying. And don't charge us for the same game. Don't charge us $80 Canadian or $70 US or whatever for the same game year after year. Just with cosmetics, please. Please. WWE-wise, which was door number one, we'll go through it. Again, I have to be a broken record in saying that the Bloodline story continues to impress. Um, Mm -hmm. They have perfectly blended Cody into the picture as to prevent fans from turning on him if and when Sami Zayn does not win at Elimination Chamber this weekend. Right. I am scared that Sami Zayn is going to be inserted into the main event a la Brian Danielson. Daniel Bryan. Mm. For just for the fact of well, he showed really well at Elimination Chamber. He is hot. He's one of the hottest things WWE has. You could even put him ahead of Roman Reigns right now as far as their top talked about star but i am really looking more forward to cody versus roman one-on-one than another i mean what's the point of winning the royal rumble if somebody can just get inserted into the match it devalues no granted uh cody came in at 30 but i mean if if where it's kind of heading and kind of feels like it might be heading, if it goes that way. But I've also sat here and said that the big payoff should be Sami Zayn and Roman Reigns, which it can't be if Cody Rhodes holds the key that he does, which is going to be a, f- a phenomenal match. So I, I, I don't know. I, I'm, that's the skeptical part that I'm either that or the Kevin Owens Sami Zayn Usos match that you've been kind of thinking it was going to be as well isn't quite the payoff to this bloodline uh, dismantling that uh, that I wanted when we were talking say back in December. Fair. I do still think, in a general sense, which by the way, uh, the atmosphere for that main event is going to be an all timer for Sami Zayn in Montreal. Oh, hundred percent. I do still see it being the Usos. You have that moment of the Usos standing by Roman. Kevin Owens comes to the rescue. And then, you know, Zayn and Owens win the tag titles at Mania. And that spins the bloodline into Roman versus the Usos again. And how that's going to work itself out. Because that is where the story started. And I think that's where the story is going to finish, because through this, you can spin into Zayn and Owens as tag champions. Mm -hmm. The Usos, again, feuding with Roman Reigns, Cody Rhodes as world champion. Like that is the sign of a successful multi-layered feud where you have every character involved being able to then branch out into different things. 100%. 100%. They've set this up so well. They really have. Well, I think, too, the, the concept of the bloodline could walk out of WrestleMania without any gold would be an amazing reset button for who they are and what they were at the beginning of the bloodline, which was a hell of a lot more ruthless than, I'll, I'll put it this way, like a marketing machine. They basically showed up on SmackDown hawking the next shirt and used a little bit of comedy to, to build us in and everything like that, which was great storytelling. Um, Sami Zayn then leaving great storytelling. I think a great reset button here is for Roman to lose it all. And I would even put the tag team titles in there is him seeing that the bloodline, like he has lost it, everything. And to get back to that kind of killer instinct, to try and get it all back. I will say, in regards to the rest of the card, eh, for me, at mm, least. Yeah. Um, the men's elimination chamber matches for the U.S. title. Austin Theory, Seth Rollins, Johnny Gargano, Bronson Reed, Damian Priest, Montez Ford. Um, that, 
so go back last week where you talk about like they've they're already setting the table for wrestlemania we already mm-hmm. know seth rollins is going to take on logan paul everything is whether or not it's going to be for the u.s title because they've had that tendency now granted that's when vince was in charge but they've had yes. the tendency of hey this match let's make it even bigger by adding the title right. great example was brock and goldberg at mania when Owens and Jericho should have been for that world title. Instead, it was for the U.S. title. The Rock versus uh, the Rock versus Cena mm-hmm. needed the title. Of course it did, because those guys aren't big enough on their own. Right. Um, no, I, that's like saying that's like saying Hogan Rock at 18 needed the yeah, title. Needed the. Uh, yeah. Like. The idea that a match needs a title when you have two larger than life superstars already in it. And it's something that we haven't seen yet is just stupid. It's Mm -hmm. just dumb. So yeah, there's that fear of that happening. And here's the other part of it too. Who does Austin theory go after if Seth Rollins, but Austin theory has been one of their bigger stars. I'll use quotation fingers again. Um, since, uh, since the whole debauchery of the money in the bank, he right. has actually turned out to be a very solid superstar who should be defending that title at WrestleMania against who? Who the hell knows with this roster? I mean, we talked about that and the whole Bray Wyatt thing. Yeah. Which, uh, no, Crash, you could name what do you, got to say? what do you got to say about him, by the way? Hey, I don't think he wrestled. <laughs> <laughs> no, but sure he had a really good promo about how he's already moving on and it's fine. And well, thank God they're getting him away from Bray Wyatt. Yeah. Um, yeah. I go. Sorry. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I go through the match and it's like, yeah, presumably Rollins is with Logan Paul. Uh, I don't think they'd put the title on Bronson Reed this early, even though he's fantastic. Um, mm-hmm. Why would you necessarily put it on Damian Priest? I don't think that's where you would go with it but that's maybe? that's possible but then again who do you put up against me like unless the rematch is priest versus um theory which nobody wants to see no i mean i i feel sorry for balor and priest because at mania in terms of judgment day members you got yeah. nowhere to go because the spotlight's going to be on rhea ripley taking on charlotte and then the mysterios match well it's it's going to be balor and edge which will be a phenomenal match as yeah, long as it do. doesn't have a shitty ending. Yeah, maybe they do end up doing that based off the result it, of the uh, that's mixed what's, tag it, match that is yes. also happening on the pay-per-view. Yeah, the rumor right now is it's Balor Edge at WrestleMania. Okay, that's, that'd be good. That'd be good. Um, Again, as long as they don't go for some bullshit ending. Yeah. So the U.S. title then, Montez Ford. I mean, if they really wanted to kickstart, like, hey, the Street Profits are going to kind of go their own separate ways, this would be a good way to do it. It kind of leaves Johnny Gargano as like, yes, please, a Gargano-Austin Theory title match would be nice, but I don't know if they'd put that on They're pay-per-view. Not They're not there. So I just you don't, I don't really have interest in it, to be honest. And the U.S. title should be on the same level as the IC title, which should be just below the heavyweight titles. Yeah. As far as I'm concerned. If you're going to put precedence on these and we've seen it where, like, the IC title, I believe, last year was not on WrestleMania on either one of the days. I, I don't think Shin- correct. I think Shinsuke held it, and he didn't put it... There was no Intercontinental match through uh, either will, night of WrestleMania. I will look... You have two nights, and it is one of your main titles. And you don't book it. It is absolute garbage. Um, correct. No intercontinental title match. Uh, I was going to mention Gunther's not on this pay-per-view. Um, he did just, uh, jump into the, uh, the spot of having the longest, uh, I, uh, IC title reign in the 21st century. Um, he has held that belt for 246 days. The only people in front of him are the dog man. <laughs> well, he is number one, of yep. course, at 454 days. Uh, Gunther's at 246 and counting. Um, Pedro Morales, 425 oh, wow. days. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Macho Man, 414. Back in the, that started in 1986. Don Morocco, 385 days. Greg the Hammer Valentine in September of 84 won the title. Okay, yeah. 
someone I was going to mention as well, um, because we just passed the 20 year anniversary of his passing. But Mr. Perfect at 280 days. And then The Rock at 265 days, a title reign that started in Portland, Maine in December of 97. But when when you're listing those names, too, I mean, that that era. Okay, so I'm looking at Perfect. I'm looking at Macho. I mean, I'll even throw Greg the Hammer Valentine in there because I do remember his run and his his matches against uh, Rugged Ronnie Garvin mm-hmm. and uh, and the Honky Tonk Man. So those were in the 80s. Like the the IC title had some sort of prestige. Now, uh, only one of them actually went on to win the heavyweight championship. Technocrat was no, actually, it wasn't even uh, Mister Perfect who uh, won the match on the uh, often talked about on this podcast the uh, the destruction of the heavyweight title. Mm-hmm. So, and that was what that belt represented was you were kind of next in line. You, they wanted to see how you could handle the pressure of being a champion. Um, we saw a real, real demonstration of that in the 2000s when it was Triple H, when it was The Rock, when it was Stone Cold, when it was Edge, when it was Cena. Like that rotation, they, they inserted The Godfather, they inserted Jeff Jarrett, they inserted China, they inserted, you know, people here and there. Uh, with the exclusion of China, because that was basically as high as she was going to get, was mm-hmm. the IC title. Even though they hinted, at, I think she actually had a number one contenders. She ended up being there was a the number time one where yeah. she was penciled in, and then it, it, it was a mess leading up to the uh, SummerSlam '99 main right. event. It was supposed to be her, and it ended up being uh, Mick Foley, Triple H, and, and Stone Cold. That way, Austin could drop the belt to. Foley, who dropped it to Triple H the next night because Stone right. Cold apparently did not want to drop the title directly to Triple H. So, but there was press that belt held prestige. And we kind of saw it again recently with The Miz. I would even put Dolph Ziggler and his passion and what he wanted to bring it to. Uh, Chris Jericho has put that title on a, on a level that I don't think has really been seen since. But it just... Like when you have Shinsuke, when you have Apollo Crews, um, and I'll even throw the U.S. title in there now because it is the other brand's mid, uh, mid-level title. Like nobody's really carrying it with that prestige. Gunther is doing a good job, but I don't know if I really see him as like a Gunther IC title match right now is not must-see TV as much as a Stone Cold Steve Austin versus The Rock for the IC title was back in the 2000s. So you could tell those guys were going to go way higher, way quicker. I don't know if anybody's really held that title. And I don't know if it's booking or I don't know if it's the people that they've put it on. Uh, And to throw it back to the, the... um, U.S. title. The only one that could really elevate it right now, out of that Hell in the Cell match, is Seth Rollins. But Seth Rollins shouldn't be in the mid-title range scene. He needs to get back into the heavyweight title scene. He's been one of the hottest acts they've had over the past three years, even not holding the title. The women's chamber fairly obvious i mean it's carmella natalia raquel rodriguez nikki cross Liv morgan and the winner oscar like that's you know yeah that's what it is uh and then bobby lashley brock lesnar that i have no interest in whatsoever no um and nothing so the so. interesting thing with the women's i don't know if you saw raw but there was a match between bailey and becky lynch that it was actually going to be a six woman uh elimination chamber i think it was or or an eight where four would start. That's mm. what they were trying to uh, get um, Adam Pierce to add. And they actually made it a three-way match uh, for the main event of Raw, where uh, Bianca Belair was inserted. It was a non-title match, and if anybody could beat Bianca Belair, they would be added into the Elimination Chamber. And if Bianca Belair won, then they would not be added. And Bianca Belair won that match. But Bailey and Becky Lynch's name 
are attached to that heavyweight or sorry the women's title match uh at wrestlemania so it could actually end up being a four-way between the winner uh, call her oscar <laughs> bianca belair and bailey and, and becky lynch sounds like where they're going to be heading with that match with that the final thing i wanted to mention is that today in wrestling just, history just before you jump off of wwe the one thing i wanted to mention watching raw they're actually doing a really good job of intertwining stories or using the time the backstage a lot of time for interviews and all that stuff to further other stories just really quickly we saw alpha academy and the maximum male models uh talking about otis maybe joining the models and in the back you had mvp talking to sheldon benjamin and uh cedric so the whole uh hurt business storyline that they're kind of hinting at was unfolding behind the behind the main thing that you saw um there was a thing where uh bronson reed came out uh to head to his match at the end of a promo and like i can't remember who the promo was but he looked at the person kind of scoffed at him and then turned towards the camera and started heading into the ring there's this interesting um production dynamic that wwe is trying that when i was watching uh really noticed that it's it's actually working really really well it's actually gelling as a tv show a lot better than i've seen in quite some time fair enough on this day february 14th 1999 there was the for a long time final edition of in your house saint valentine's day massacre <laughs> headlined by vince mcmahon and stone cold steve austin in a cage match that saw the debut of paul white white <laughs> paul white <laughs> who debuted after jumping from WCW to immediately accidentally help Stone Cold win a cage match. Yeah, that's right. He mm. threw Stone Cold to the cage and the cage broke and Stone Cold let go and two feet on the on the ground. That was that was like before a lot of there was a lot of exodus to WCW. Mm -hmm. I think we already had the radicals jump. No, that was uh that, that was, was pre-radicals. Yeah. So he pre was actually pre Jericho. So he was one of the first who. Well, I mean, you could say like Bulldog and uh, there was a whole bunch of guys had jumped back. Yeah, Jeff there was Jarrett a bunch had jumped back. There was a bunch of guys who, um, kind of quietly went over and quietly came back. Mm -hmm. Like Jake the Snake Roberts is a name that I would put in that category as well. Um, but yeah, this was one of the first or was the major exodus from WCW uh, over to WWE and I think actually set the tone. It didn't quite change the landscape, but I think the fact of what they did with Paul White, who ended up becoming the big show, um, what they ended up doing with him in the short term kind of opened the door for, okay, Vince would actually treat us with the respect we kind of deserve it did take them a long time to get things right with the big show a long that's true. That's long true. time <laughs> um granted by the end of this year he would have been wwf champion um but still it was it was a bit weird like i believe the next pay-per-view after he won he won it at survivor series at armageddon the main event was triple h and vince where Stephanie made it clear she was on Triple H's side after the whole test wedding thing happened. Mm -hmm. um, Big Show defended the title, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, I think, God, was it Big Boss Man? I think it was Boss Man that he oh, defended the, whole, the title against. The whole dead I want to say Albert was involved in that, too. Very well um, could have been, yeah. It was It was a time. Um, one, of, but, one of the worst promos 
that involved Paul White was The Undertaker. I don't know if you remember the one where mm-hmm. I took him out to the to the desert uh-huh. and we meditated. <laughs> I'm like, yeah. you're The Undertaker. Fuck off. <laughs> you and Paul White did not go on a motorcycle trip to Joshua Tree, pop some pop some mushrooms, find out who you are, and then come back and want to wrestle each other. Like the whole promo was an absolute disaster. I think he mentioned forcing the big show to put a motorcycle on his back and carry it through the desert. It was terrible. Um, Much like the rest of this pay-per-view, if we're being honest, um, the opening match for St. Valentine's Day Massacre, three minutes and four seconds, Gold Dust defeats Blue Dust, the blue (laughs) meanie. (laughs) Yeah, we don't need to talk about that one. No, we don't. Bob Holly and Al Snow at a 10-minute match for the hardcore title that saw them wrestle in the, the river. Okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. That was, that was a famous one. Uh, you follow that up with six minutes of Big Boss Man beating Midian. Okay. Leading yeah. to, uh, of course, Boss Man and Taker, Hell in a Cell at Mania. Which, ugh. Um, <laughs> hey, kids, you want to see a lynching? Yeah. <laughs> Nine and a half minutes, Jarrett and Owen Hart retain the tag titles over D'Lo Brown and Mark Henry. Like, that's about as ni- early 1999 as you can get. Yep. Um, Val Venus wins the Intercontinental title from Ken Shamrock in a match that saw Billy Gunn as the special referee. Heading, do you know who went into WrestleMania 19 or 19? WrestleMania 99, which was uh, WrestleMania 15. Do you know who went into that pay-per-view with the Intercontinental title? Was this the crossover where it was like Billy Gunn was really going towards the IC title and, and Road Dog was going to the hardcore and for whatever reason they flipped? Yep, you nailed it, buddy. Um, yeah, WrestleMania 19 started off with Billy Gunn as the defending hardcore champion, uh, losing a triple threat match to Hardcore Holly. It also included Al Snow and Road Dog won a fatal four-way over Gold Dust, Ken Shamrock, and Val Venus for the IC title. Like, okay, just really quickly, based on what we said, name those four again, and who at that time did you think you'd put the heavyweight title on? None Between of them. Road Dog, Ken Shamrock, Val Venus, and Gold Dust? <laughs> Maybe Shamrock, because they did put him into the main event picture a lot mm. in that era. but. Like, none of those guys were going to lead your company. Why are they Why are they in the IC picture? Vince Russo, baby. Vince Russo. <laughs> uh, you also had China and Kane beat Triple H and X-Pac. And the uh, co-main event, Mankind and The Rock, Last Man Standing, ended up in a draw after 22 minutes. Jeez. And then... Hmm? How can you have a Last Man Standing draw? You just don't get up. Neither one of you. Just it's have an bullshit. It's bullshit. And then that Austin McMahon cage match was under eight minutes. Yeah. So. It's understandable. Um, not one of the more well-remembered um, events. You remember it for the main event, but there's not much else memorable. And I hate to say it. Uh, 99 this company was was on fire but man you go back and look at some of these pay-per-views i was going to say i was going to say that like they were absolutely killing it in the ratings but just going over the matches that we've had (laughs) in in this segment have been cheese (laughs) backlash the pay-per-view after mania right we're talking about saint valentine's day massacre which is the pay-per-view before this is the pay-per-view after that features Farouk Bradshaw and Midian defeating the Brood. Al Snow winning the Hardcore title off of Hardcore Holly. Care to guess the Intercontinental title match? I want to say that China would have had it by then. Well, you're right that Road Dog didn't have it anymore. <clears throat> Defending <clears throat> champion Godfather beat Gold Dust. Oh, yeah. Okay. Um... Outlaws beat Owen Hart and Jeff Jarrett. Mankind beat the Big Show in a boiler room brawl, meaning, yes, Big Show was losing already. Um, Triple H beat Xbox. Undertaker over Ken Shamrock. And Stone Cold beat The Rock. 
retain the WWF title. Kind of similar to today. I gotta be honest. Like the main event scene, super interesting, but a lot of mid card stuff. I'm just like, eh, I don't, I don't know. You know what? But WWE at that point, and to some extent WCW, because they really introduced the cruiserweights to us again in kind of a luchador style. They really found ways to keep the lower card interesting. They like they always had something. You never really heard the term. We didn't really, or they don't have anything for him. You know, like what we've heard with Miro, what we've heard with um, <laughs> just an absolute plethora of, of wrestlers today. They actually mm. found ways to keep Ernest the Cat Miller on TV and uh, Norman and Smiley. Was, and That was what Vince Russo was good at? Yeah. Was he, yeah. he did at least try to give everyone something. It's just sometimes there are certain characters that shouldn't have anything. That's fair. But on the same token, it wasn't like they they were still kind of throwing uh, people together for matches on the, the flagship shows. But it was um, like it, it there was purpose to every anybody who was on TV. There was purpose for them to be on TV leading to something, whether it started a new feud. And I know I'm using a lot of WCW right now, but like the Ravens flock, like Mm. even when Raven had his feud called, you know, DDP, his feud with DDP was awesome. But Kidman always had his Saturn had his, you know, like everybody had somewhere to be or somebody to fight versus, you know, yeah, Dana Brooks on TV again. Why? We don't know. I'd actually love to see Dana Brooke have a good run in the women's division, but they just kind of throw what, what two or what was the one match? It was like Dewdrop versus Meacham, uh, Mia Kim, uh, no reason for it on raw. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. No reason. Cause it's not going to lead anywhere. So yeah, I mean, that's what the nineties had that we don't have at this point. With that, Crash Andrews, we will wind things down for this week and arguably the next two weeks as I'm heading to Europe at the end of this week uh, and I will not likely be back and available to make things uh, happen podcast-wise until the beginning of March. So it'll be a while before we get to talk about Elimination Chamber. By the time we get a chance to talk about it, it'll be... So far gone, it probably won't be interesting to talk about anymore because we kind of know what the, the follow up, you know, what the follow up is in terms of how everything's going to play out. But uh, I, I am intrigued. I am intrigued to see how they handle uh, the chamber. I am more intrigued just to see what and hear what will be a red hot crowd in Montreal. Yeah, I think that's going to be the, the big takeaway. As I said, I'm not a big fan of like building the pay-per-view after. So. Elimination Chamber to me isn't as exciting, mm. but uh, but I think seeing, um, yeah, seeing what Montreal brings because Montreal is one of those crowds that can absolutely control a show as well if they want to. I just I don't know how Roman Reigns walks out of there with the title, but I absolutely know that he will walk away with the title. But I don't think that there's going to be any any question there. Do you have a quote to see us out? I was trying to find something based on love, seeing as how it is, uh, how it is Valentine's Day. So in order to buy myself another 10 seconds, you can catch Toogie24 on Twitch at twitch.tv slash Toogie24, the acclimated Twitch channel, <laughs> the acclaimed, scissor me. Um, and uh, on Twitter, basically everywhere at Tugi24, you can find me not on Twitch. I'm still hiding and still don't have Crash Andrews on Twitter. I've got Crash underscore Andrews. Uh, TikTok is where I've been playing a lot lately. Uh, I think I used, did I use the Dusty Rhodes quote before? And Sapphire? Use it again. Well, it, I mean, they're from the mouth of Bobby the Brain Heenan. And because it, this was recorded on Valentine's Day. Dusty Rhodes and Sapphire, they're a lovely twosome or threesome or foursome or 20. Oh, I've used that one. Hold on a second. Give me two. I'll just pick a random one. Uh, 
dude. There's so many. Uh, the Barbarian doesn't like anybody. When I managed him, he barely liked me. Why do you think they call him a Barbarian? He's not a hairdresser on his day off. That works, I guess. Good night, everybody.